All right, so the definition of a life hack is a strategy or technique adopted in order to manage one's time or daily activities in a more efficient way. I think the truth is that we want to, we probably all want to do that. We want to manage our time, all of our stuff a little bit, a little bit better. We probably want that at some level. At least the idea is attractive sometimes. I think for me, the gap between actually doing something and knowing what the right thing to do sometimes is a little wide. It's a little wide from time to time, but I, in, in like researching the definition of life hack, I just had to just click the image search as well to see like what kind of life hacks are out there. I went down some rabbit holes um, <laughs> in my research, but here's just a few. This is like a thing that I did in college. This is kind of a college thing to do. Is like, because if a cord falls behind something, it's the worst. It's the worst, it is. The problem is I, I never have an extra alligator clip laying around. I never do. This is one that um, I don't think I would ever do, but I feel like my wife would, is the strawberries with the straw to remove the... You want to hear something terrible? Sean, my, like one of my best friends, like Pastor Sean, he eats strawberries whole, just the green and all. That's my reaction. That's everyone's reaction. I think he did that to freak us out. And then now he has to keep doing it. I think that's what it is. So he wouldn't use that. So down the rabbit hole, I found this little gem right here. If your spaghetti's too long while you're eating it, just grab the junk drawer scissors. You know how you trim the dog too and just bam. That's great. That's great. To see if you learned something tonight, right? You did. Then I found something that I will use. I will use this. At the end of the Nutella, put ice cream in it. Oh, that one will change your life. That's a life hack. It made me think of peanut butter too, if you're bold enough, if you like that sort of thing. I don't know. I was like down the, uh, the road of life hacks here. Um, but basically, when we sat down as a staff, we knew that we were bringing midweek courses back. We're just like, what? What do we want to teach? We're praying. We're trying to seek. And just this idea, we had so many, we had so many topics on our list from identity to boundaries to how to hear from God to different religions and all sorts of stuff that we were just like, what should we teach? And this thing kind of hit me of like, when I was in high school, we had this life skills class that taught me how to manage a, like balance a checkbook, which didn't apply. But also taught me how, like, basic things like how to do a job interview and stuff. And that class meant more to me than I think all of high school did because I was, I was able to directly apply those things to my life. Now, I wish they would have showed me about credit cards because I maxed out two credit cards immediately my freshman year. And then I waited till they went to the creditors, and then I paid them all off and canceled them. So my, my credit score was trash. Trash. Now, that's the one thing I wish. So we, we decided, why don't we do, like, a Christian life hacks where... We take some of these larger topics that honestly we could do an entire series out of. And let's just try and like, if we can get one applicable thing, something that we can apply directly to our lives out of these big lessons that, that moved each of us as a staff member, let's try and put that into a course. And for some of you guys, some of these life hacks we may talk about, you're like, I get this, I'm in full support. Chances are your story still matters here because how you've applied it in your life, someone else may need to hear that. And that's what we started discovering in the staff meeting where we, we were starting to share about these different things that were just moving our hearts and these different ways that God just 
just created enormous breakthroughs in our lives through these different subjects. So that's what this whole course is about. That's why we have some broad topics over this seven-week period. None of these lessons necessarily build on each other. And so some of you may not come back next week because you can't make it. That's fine. Every time you show up, I think you'll be able to get something out of it. These study guides that you see in front of you, if you don't have a study guide, grab one from the back. Uh, but those are going to also be digitally emailed to you guys out there, and there'll be a, a link within that um, like podcast, like the show notes and stuff like that. So just know we're trying to be able to get this stuff out here because we do believe that Jesus is speaking and moving in our church, and just the fact that like all of you are here tonight is just so awesome. So I thank you for coming. I'm, I'm really excited about these, these next six weeks. Now, the purpose of another purpose of this course particularly is that it's not just designed for information because information I can just give you and then that's all there is. There's, there's no experience with it. And I think a lot of just normal classes or lectures would just be information without experience. And if you're just in experience or like maybe just a small group, sometimes that all, doesn't always come with good information. I was, I was telling our rooted groups this week, the same exact thing that we want to also try and create this idea of you can receive or, or get some information that maybe God is speaking to you and then directly start to apply it by connecting with other people. And so this course, I'm going to do 30 to 40 minutes of teaching, depending on how long-winded I feel each night. But then I'm going to give you opportunities to break down into table discussions, the people that are around you. We have life groups that are going to be listening to this audio in a setting right now too. And so just know that like the people that are around you, their story matters just like your story matters. And so when we're talking about this content, this teaching, there's going to be a time where you can break down and actually think about how is this going to change my week this week? Because I believe every time you open the Bible, every time that you hear his word, Jesus is asking that same thing. Like, how can I make your life different? Look more like me. I feel like Jesus is saying those types of things. So we want to give you an opportunity to sort of flesh that out. And I think bouncing ideas and comments and also getting other people to pray for you and just connecting with one another, that's a big step. So for some of you, this may be your first class here at Fellowship. For some of you, you might have been attending classes at Fellowship longer or than I could, you know, before I could even spell class. And so either way, I think that this is something that you'll be able to, to receive from and connect into. And so that's, that's something that I think is um, a newer spin that we're trying to put on classes and courses here at Fellowship because connection is such, such a huge key piece to everything. Now, within this whole thing, something else that's kind of in the background that we want to also be thinking about is just how am I like advancing in my faith? I think being stagnant, being in a spot where uh, you're not moving forward or you're not taking that next step, so to speak, is something that we as a staff have felt like the enemy has tried to attack our people with. And so we want to, we want to also just be challenged, like, what is my next step? And that's another way to say, how can I apply this into my life? But what we're doing right here, if you look at like the next steps of our church, is we're, we're connecting. And our, our mission to connect the unconnected to Jesus, um, together grow in full devotion to him. Now, the first two is a lot of like, God, like, what can you do in my life? Like, what can I give over to you? And then you hinge into the other two of like, God, what can you do through me? 
instead of just what you can do for me. And so in this place, you may find yourself in any of these steps, which is awesome. Now we're all in connect and grow here because that's, again, what I just outlined. But you may find yourself in a spot where you're, God's speaking to you to maybe serve someone else with some wisdom or with some advice or with even your own story. Or you may find yourself in a spot of an express where you're, you are, are sharing your own story in a way that Jesus is now expressed through you. And so just keep in mind that like, we're all on this journey together and we never stop growing. We never stop connecting. We never stop serving. It's cyclical as well. And so keep that in the back of your mind too throughout the course of what Jesus is my next step in all of these things. So I want to jump into the first like life hack, the gospel for everyday life. Does anybody know what the word gospel means? What does it mean? It means good news. It does. It means good news. Uh, some translations are in the, in the um, concordance that says good tidings, which I think is another great way to think about it of like the old English, good tidings, you know? I can't do an English accent. I can't do it. But tonight is about the good news and not just any good news, but the good news. The gospel is simple. It's simple. It's almost offensively simple in some ways. And I think that the gospel being simple can right now, even as I'm saying that, like we're talking about the gospel tonight, some of us can start to disengage. And I think that that's a lure of the enemy to disengage when we're talking about the gospel. But I'm telling you, in my walk with Christ, and I know I haven't been alive that long, and I know I haven't walked with Christ as long as some of you might have, but just understanding the power of the gospel in every day, not just the moment of salvation, but in every day was a life hack for me. It's a way that I've been able to just be, just have so much breakthrough in my life about it. So that's what I want to share with you about tonight. The gospel, it is simple. So the good news can be summed up with many one sentence like verses in the Bible. One of the most famous, of course, is John, oops, John 3.16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I love throwing verse 17 on the end of this one too. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Right here we see the good news, the good news. And if you think about what the good news itself is, it's the story of Jesus. It's who he is. The gospels, if you think about the word gospel or good news, if you look at the Bible, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're called the gospels. The reason for that is they're just detailed accounts of Jesus's life. So anytime you're talking about Jesus, you're talking about good news. Anytime you're talking about good news, the good news of Jesus, you're sharing what would be the gospel. It's the gospel, good news, Jesus's life. They're almost interchangeable when we're talking about, especially in scripture. Now, my favorite one-sentence Bible verse on the gospel that I feel like, and I, I did a, a, like, I used to do a lot of street ministry in college and everything, and I loved floating this one-liner past people. And I'd, I'd go up to somebody on the street, and I'd say, or the mall or wherever, and I'd be like, would you like to hear the mega theme of the Bible in one sentence? And generally, everybody, no matter what their background, there's like, Yeah. And then I'd be like, well, it takes about five minutes to explain it. Can you uh, sit down with me? <laughs> and then they'd be like, well, I don't know if I have time, but, or some people will do. But Romans 6.23 is my, is my favorite and just personal favorite on the best one-liner. And that is, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. What you see in this verse, 
is that for the wages of sin is death. That's like the man side of everything. Mankind, for the bad things I do, I earn death. And there's a comma. But God gave me a free gift of eternal life. And then all that is possible through Christ Jesus. And the end is important, our Lord, by making him Lord of our life. So in one sentence, I believe that you could put almost anything through the Bible through this one verse, um, and it'll come into the mega theme of it. And there's a really cool illustration that goes with it. Um, I'd love to share with anybody who wants to know afterward, but I'm on a time frame as well. <laughs> I am. So to sum up the good news, the gospel in general, what I would probably say, if someone asked me, what's the good news? I'd say that Jesus was all God and all man. He came to earth, born of a virgin. He grew up, lived life as a human, but he was perfect. He never did anything wrong. He never sinned. But then he went and died in place of a sinner on a cross, and he was crucified there. But because he was all God and all man and he lived perfect, he didn't deserve death, so death could not hold him down. And because death could not hold him down, three days after he actually died, he rose from the dead by the spirit and the power of God. And after he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven. He's seated there right now next to God. And because he did that, he gave us a promise of the Holy Spirit, his spirit that lives in us and empowers us so that anybody who trusts in him as Lord and Savior of their life not only reaps eternal life, but lives life to the fullest. So that's what I would say the gospel is in general, if someone just, just asked me that. And, and I think that that is uh, something that in a way that God has spoken to me. And so then he speaks out through me in that way. He showed up as all those things in my life. And I think for most of us, if you've, if you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and I'm, I'm telling you, I, I hope all of us here have done that. If after this conversation, this discussion, that you feel like, I don't think I've actually trusted in Jesus as, as friend, invited him into my life as Lord and Savior, and prayed that prayer to, to have that happen, come talk to me afterward, or talk to someone. It's like, I don't know if, if I'm there. I would love to have a conversation with you about that. And if you want to make that decision tonight, please, if you're listening to this recording later, you want to make that decision, email me, will at fellowshipgj.com. Please, please do. But again, it's simple. Because I think for many of us here, it's all something that we've done. It's for some of us, we have vivid memories of when we prayed that prayer, where we were sitting, what we were wearing, how we felt the next day. And for a lot of us, we say the gospel was for that moment. And it absolutely was. That Jesus purchased our freedom through his blood on the cross so that we may have eternal life. But the gospel isn't just fire insurance. It's not just so we don't go to hell. It's something so much, so much greater, so much more powerful, a life hack indeed that I believe can set you free and rescue you every single day of your life, not just the day you prayed the prayer for the first time. See, the true power of the gospel wasn't just meant to be the beginning of our journey with Christ. It was meant to be the journey itself. See, when I was in college, I was, I was saved at uh, the age of 13 at an overnight camp called Rainbow Trail Lutheran Camp. Even the Lutherans, baby, they got Jesus. They do. They do. And at that camp, I remember praying this prayer during this night service, and there's a campfire, and the next day, I was completely changed. Like, it was like I woke up, and I was like, oh my gosh, every day before this day, I was alone, and I'm not now. 
Like that was the feeling that I had. And, and from that day all the way into college, I was like, that, that salvation moment meant so much to me and it still does. But I remember in college, I kept just absorbing new things. I'm like, I need to learn new things. I was reading new books and I was, I was just absorbing all these things. And then I remember sitting down um, when I was kind of on volunteer staff at an organization called The Navigators. And I was sitting down during a summer training program across this World War II veteran. And he had, um, he had survived Pearl Harbor and he was just, just, just sharing wisdom with all these college kids around him. And like, None of his friends were at the table because they love watching from a distance, like him just pouring it to these college students. And, and I remember him looking across the table and he asked me, have you preached the gospel to yourself each day? And I was like, that's, no. <laughs> I'll preach the gospel to myself, to other people, yeah, but the gospel was for when I got saved. I'm, I'm already saved. And he's like, you don't understand anything. And he started sharing with us this idea of preaching the gospel to yourself each day and why. And I just, that thought and that moment just always stayed with me of just like the gospel, like the story of Jesus can set you free daily, not just so you don't go to hell, but daily. And it, and it changed the way I walked with the Lord. It changed the way I walked with the Lord. So in order to understand this fully, I want to go back to the beginning, like where it all went wrong for humanity, Genesis 3. And specifically, I want to focus on two things, because there's a lot of things that we can learn from Genesis 3. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible to study. I wrote a Bible study called the Top 10 Chapters of the Bible. This is the first week, Genesis 3. But I want us to focus on two things. Specifically, I want to focus on humanity's response to sin. Now, don't look too far ahead in your study, guys, okay? <laughs> Stay with me. I want us to focus on humanity's response to sin and God's response to sin. All right, now I did not put enough verses on here, so you're gonna have to look at your study guides for Genesis 3, but I wanna, I wanna, I wanna peek through this right now. We're gonna start verse one, chapter three. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. Hallelujah, right? One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees of the garden? Side note, I hate snakes, and this story reinforces it. <laughs> the idea of a talking snake terrifies me. Terrifies me. It does make me wonder, though, did the rest of the animals talk in Eden? Like, it didn't. Of course, fear wasn't present at that moment because it was before the fall, right? So I wonder if just like a talking snake, she's like, oh, it talks. And she just like, I'll have a conversation with it. I don't know. Things that go through my mind when I read scripture. I'm sorry. I said I wouldn't do side notes, and I am. Anyway, yeah, it's like Narnia. There you go. The talking snake would be on the ice side of things. That's for sure. All right, verse two. Of course we may eat the fruit from the tree in the garden, the woman replied. It's, the only, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat, God said. You must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. A little, okay, another little side note. <laughs> Eve added something to God's command there. She, she, she added that you can't even touch it. That's not what God said. God said you just don't eat it. But it's an interesting little side note. These are things that you can dig into later. I have nothing to do with what I want to say. Uh, verse number four. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Be like God. That was the temptation. Satan presented to Eve something that she didn't have but she really had everything. 
you could be like God. Satan used the same sin that brought him down. Satan thought he could be like God, rise above God. And the funny thing is that Adam and Eve, they, they were created in God's image and likeness. They actually were like God. They already were. See, Satan cast a lie into Eve and a temptation. And the first part of verse six is where it's sunk in. It says the woman was convinced. How many of us have been convinced before? Like just, and it's not even verbal. It's just the inner desire. And all of a sudden we're convinced. And it's like the sin drags us away to complete it. Like whatever it might be. And that's, that's just Satan's plan and design from the very beginning. Keep going in verse six. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave it some to her husband who was with her, who said nothing this whole time. He ate it too. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing, Adam? It's like, <laughs> he was thinking of something else at the time. Here we see humanity's response to sin. Verse seven. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Verse eight. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And the Lord God called to the man, where are you? I believe that we can hear those words too still today. Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Humanity's response to sin was to hide. To hide in two things, shame and fear. You can hide in shame, you can hide in fear. Adam Adam and Eve hid. They legitimately covered the image and likeness of God out of fear. Isn't it interesting to think about? They covered their naked bodies, which was the image and the likeness of God, out of fear. And that's crazy to think about, that that's what their response to sin was. That the one who made everything, made them, planted the garden, was calling out to them and they were hidden. Now, normally we can sum up the rest of the story because as we remember, if we read Genesis 3, God's response to sin was to tell Eve that she had a painful childbirth and to seek to control her husband. And Adam would have to toil with the ground and scratch a living with the sweat of his brow. But that's not God's response. Now, those were the consequences of sin, yes. But that wasn't God's response to sin. We're gonna look at the next thing God does. Verse 11, who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Verse 12, the man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. (laughs) See, from the beginning, we've been blaming the ladies. From the beginning. I love this. This whole interchange is just, I can see the humor in it overall. I know there was no humor in that moment. 13, the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And she said, the serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. So he points to the girl. The girl points to the snake. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than all wild animals. Hallelujah. Domestic and wild, you will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And all the snake haters rejoiced, right? (laughs) See, if you look at the actions of God, the first thing God does is not give consequences to Adam and Eve, but to curse the serpent. It's the first thing that God, his response to humanity messing up was to punch the devil, kick the Satan, so to speak. God's first response to humanity doing the, the one thing he said not to do. And this is where we really see it in verse 15 because his first response was to curse Satan. 
and to share the good news. Here it is, verse 15. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. The person that's gonna strike his head is Jesus. And Jesus dies. Says Satan's gonna strike his heel. Jesus dies. But he raises again. Perfect. God's response to the fall of humanity was a rescue plan. His first response to sin was a rescue plan. It's crazy. Now, it could be hard to pick up on Moses' writing because the one the serpent is going to strike is Jesus, but he who has no sin can cast the first stone, and the first stone that was cast was the stone at the tomb that was rolled away, right? Jesus was the rescue plan. The good news was shared at the moment sin entered the world, and it's shared to this day. It's still shared to this day. The good news has power, has power over the past. The power of the gospel or the good news has the power to set you free, not just for eternity, but for every single day of our lives. Now, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2, I'm going to base the next part of this teaching out of this verse. I should have turned my notifications off my iPad. Here we go. (laughs) Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, in which you received, past tense, in which you stand, present tense, in which you are being saved, which looks to the future. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So we see past, present, and future, and we see the gospel is something that can be preached in all of them every single spot, the past, present, and the future. So what on earth, post-salvation, like if you're already saved, what on earth do we need to be saved from? Shame of the past, temptation in the present, and sin in the future. Those are the three things. So shame of the past. Now we've all done things in the past that that we've come up short. For many of us, those things happened after we became Christians. Like after we became Christians, we still did stuff that we messed up. We still did something. And we immediately felt and we knew that that was wrong. Those things can happen. We can see this in the story that we just read, right? Adam and Eve, their first response to sin was shame. And shame can be sticky. It's hard to get out of. Shame can be sticky. We reflect on our past decisions and actions and we immediately, what we wanna do is we wanna hide because of those. We're ashamed. In, in your group discussions here in just a few minutes, you may have shame trying to stick on you about some stories in your past. Shame is something that's gonna try and hold you back. And fear and shame, they work directly with one another. But Romans chapter 10 has some verses on the Romans road. You guys, anybody familiar with the Romans road? It's a, it's a, it's a tool to evangelize where there's um, three or four different passages in Romans or verses that you can walk someone through the gospel. Well, uh, the, the last one on the Romans road, Romans chapter 10, verses nine and 10. I love those verses. They're so good. So I'm gonna read nine and 10, but I want us to look at 11 and see the power in it right here. So Romans 10, 9 through 11. So 9, if you believe, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Good news. For it is with your heart that you will believe and you are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Look at verse 11 when you think about shame. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. 
Shame has no stand in the presence of the good news. No stand. See, the gospel, if you preach that to yourself and accept it each day, the shame of the past has nowhere to stick anymore. Because Jesus says, his word says, you'll never be put to shame. You won't. You won't be put to shame. We remember that from the beginning that Jesus set out to make it so that anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. We're able to move on in our lives. You see how you start to be set free again? How many times has the enemy brought something back up that you've done in the past? It's his jam, isn't it? It's again, it's offensively simple sometimes. The gospel will set you free. It will set you free. One of the biggest acts of remembering Jesus is to partake in communion. It's, li- it's literally its meaning. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Okay, so the gospel saves us from temptations or uh, from shame in the past. Number two, saves us from temptation in the present. A major theme of the gospel is that Jesus lived his life perfectly, perfectly. He never sinned. He never messed up at all. And I love the story when Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness. Like, because right before then, he is baptized. His cousin, John, baptizes him. And when he comes up out of the water, the, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And, and now he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what's the first thing he does? Goes to the wilderness, which is like, I think I'm like, why? He like, now he's empowered by the Spirit. He could be like, you're healed and you're healed and you're healed and you get a donkey and you get a car. And, and he just like, there's people there. John declared it to everybody. This is the Lamb of God, right? But no, he's led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And then the devil comes to tempt him, which it's just like the devil to kick you when you're down, right? Jesus has been fasting and he's hungry 40 days. But then you think about that. Jesus went immediately to fast and to pray. So he was with his father being fed by the spirit for 40 days. I bet Jesus was at the height of his spiritual powers. He wasn't weak. He was at the height of his spiritual powers. He knew it was coming. And when Satan came to tempt him, he never sinned. The same spirit that lives in you rose Jesus from the dead. The same spirit. Romans 8, 11, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The resilience of Jesus lives in you. You feel a little empowered by that? You should. What if in the moment of temptation, you're so well rehearsed in preaching the gospel to yourself, you remember this truth. Same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in me. That's powerful. That's big. That's big. I love what Paul has to say about temptation in 1 Corinthians. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. Remember what that, that 1 Corinthians verse that we stand. We stand. Be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you the way out so you can endure. If you can unlock that, the power of the gospel every day, this exit sign gets real big. It does. Now, it's not a promise that we'll never mess up again because it's not true. We're, 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 still, we're, we're still falling. Like we, we have a flesh that is still part of the fall. Get that. 
We can't be perfect. But yet, Jesus, who was perfect, his spirit lives in us. And it's his grace that we can come back to that place again. We can come back to that. And that's where we start looking to the future. Because we do have power in the present. Right now, in this moment, the present moment. Anytime, like if you think about sin this way, like you believe that, that God is omnipresent. That's a, that's a common, common belief, and it's biblical, of just like he's everywhere. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere. So the moment of sin, I believe that we believe a lie to where we're convinced that Jesus is actually not there. Because if Jesus was in the room with me, I wouldn't sin. If grandma's in the room with me, I'm not going to like cuss. Like, I just won't. I'm like, I'm going to watch my mouth, right? If Jesus is in the room with me, I'm not going to do that. So it's like, we're conv- it's like the enemy sells us this lie that we're alone, that no one can really see us, that we're hidden, like in the fall. But the truth is, if we, if we think about or even preach to ourselves the gospel of Jesus, that he came to set us free, we come into his presence. And that sets us up in that moment of temptation. Like, oh, I'm not alone here. I'm not alone. And the exit sign gets really big, that way out so that you can endure, gets really big. And again, this week, don't be discouraged when you mess up. Don't be, because Jesus purchased every sin you will ever commit your whole life that day on the cross. He didn't purchase all the sins up to today. There's not a running total. There's not an angel with a clicker behind you waiting until you run out. That's not how it works. Jesus purchased everything. That's right. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Purchased everything, everything. So we have power to be saved from the temptation of the present. We have power to be saved from the sin in the future. And this is the toughest thing to be rescued from because we can't tell the future. Can anybody tell the future? No. Like, well, I mean, unless Jesus speaks to you, which in case, please, I would love some words later. (laughs) That'd be awesome. But the hard truth is that we're going to mess up. We are, knowingly and unknowingly, we're going to mess up. The truth is we need to be continually rescued from the sin that so easily trips us up, that so easily entangles us. What Paul says, we need to strip off those ways of sin. This is where, like, if you think about addictions, those come in, those hot-button sins that we continually mess up on, that always rear its ugly head, the things that, will, the, the things that you will work your whole life to try to get rid of. You work on it your whole life. This is the stuff that comes into our minds where it's like, how can the power of like, the gospel save me from that? But if we're, we're thinking about it that way, that we're, getting, we're working our whole life to get rid of sin that's already gone, that's not freedom, that's bondage. That's bondage. So you focus on the sin so much that it looms its head constantly. It makes it seem like there isn't a future at all. See, the truth is we can't live in a way we look for the sin to get rid of. We need to look to the one who got rid of the sin. Because if you have this addiction in your life, and this is honestly the, God, the power of the gospel set me free from my addiction. Like when you look at the, the one who was on the cross instead of the sin that so easily trips us up, because where we look to will go, right? The sin's gonna keep coming up again. See, when Jesus hung on the cross, it was a shout out to something that Moses did in the desert with the Israelites. There's a time in the, in the desert where all these snakes were just kept biting the Israelites and they kept dying. And a lot of people died. And all these snakes kept coming and they kept biting and they'd, they'd kill them, but more would come and it's this whole thing. Well, God told Moses to, to craft like a bronze or a metal snake and hang it on a pole. 
And, and God told Moses to tell the people, anybody who looks at the snake on a pole, at, this, at the, the thing hanging on the, on the pole will be saved. You just got to look to it, look to it. So the Israelites, I mean, if there's a snake coming at my feet, what am I going to look at? Like there's a snake. I need a shovel or a gun, a flamethrower. I need something. But God said, don't look at what's trying to kill you. Look at what can save you. Right? So when Moses hung that thing on a pole, that's the same image of Jesus. Jesus hung on a pole. And anybody who looks to him and believes will be saved. We're best at war when we're not devil-focused. So like if the sin is what's tripping us up and we're continually worried about, I don't want to sin, I don't want to do this thing, I don't do this thing, we're focused on that. That's the idol at that point, right? We focus on Jesus, on his power, his work, though we still may sin. And yes, we still may mess up, but you will start walking in a path and you'll start to see a pattern going in the direction of becoming more like him when you're looking at him. And that can be the hardest thing in the, at 2 a.m. in the middle of an addiction or whatever it is. That can be hard, but he's still there. The cross is still there for you to look at. No matter where you, at, where you are at, he meets you right where you are. John 19, 28 through 30 says, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. Jesus is hanging on the cross at this point. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked it, soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch and he held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. When Jesus said it was finished, it was finished. It was finished. Do we live like it's finished? I believe that if you preach the gospel to yourself or you, you think about the gospel, you remember the gospel, you look to him on the cross, you start to live like it's finished. Because you can work your whole life to get rid of sin that's already gone. It's already gone. We need to live like it's finished. You live like it's finished, you're not living in bondage. See, this empowers us to jump further into God, that even in the moment of sin, you can jump further into the spirit instead. What is Satan gonna do if you keep doing that? He's like, we tempt him and he, 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 he goes to Jesus. We bring up the past, he goes to Jesus. When he sins, he come, brings up Jesus again. Don't touch him, nobody touch him. <laughs> so I feel like Satan gets that spot, but like the power of the gospel can set you free from the past. It will bring you a way out in the present and it will set you up so you believe without a shadow of a doubt that you have a future and a hope. So yes, the gospel is simple. It's just Jesus. And that's all you need. That's it. So this first life hack might not be super, all this teaching, all these points, and all these things to like remember, and now you have to memorize and stuff like that. It's just him. But the truth is, that's all he ever wanted. That's it. The simple gospel for everyday life. That's what it is. Luke 9, 23 Jesus said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must take, give up your own way, take up your cross daily, follow me. I believe part of taking up that cross daily is the gospel. It's the gospel. Believe who Jesus is that he said he is. Believe he did what he said he did. 
each day. I think that is a way that you can live a life, not only honoring him, but looking more like him at the end of the day as well. So this is the time that we're gonna transition to our our sharing time. The the rest of the study guide here um, talks about a few different things. Some of you may may have to um, jet out of here, whatever it is. But like I, I challenge, like you have, we have this room till like nine o'clock. Okay, so hey, actually, if you have a middle schooler, eight thirty. Okay, eight thirty. That's when the student center closes. If you have a middle schooler over in forty six, but lean into these these discussion questions because I think it's important. I think it's important to just know the gospel in general. Like that might be your your thing this week. I'm gonna figure out how I can just say the gospel without needing help. Maybe that's it. But lean into these discussion questions. The one thing I will say at the, the back sheet here is your challenge for the week. I'm going to have one of these every single week. And so you can read through it. If you have any questions about it, you can uh, let me know. If you have any questions about it, ask your table too. For those of you that are extroverts at your tables, congratulations, you're now the table leader at your table. <laughs> congratulations. Now, for those of you that like, are, are here alone, I challenge you, ask a group of people to sit with them. For um, anybody who's in the 19 to 29 range, uh, young adults, if you want to join the young adults group, you are more than welcome to. I'll dismiss the young adults now. They're going to go downstairs. They're going to get ice cream because their bodies can still handle that and not have repercussions. <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry, you, you, Todd, maybe we'll get you some ice cream just for you, buddy. All right, there he is. Um, but you know what? Let me pray real quick right before you guys leave. Jesus. You're all we need. You're it. So Lord, we thank you. We invite you into our group discussion time. I pray you lose courage and strength over us, Lord, to be able to share our stories. And Lord, we open up our lives to you, God, because you're worth it. Thank you for saying that we're worth it, we're dying for. So Jesus, I pray that you can speak to us, speak through us, um, Lord, in our discussions. And, and Lord, bring people into our life that know you. We can start walking in the right direction, Jesus. That's always toward you. So Lord, open our eyes, open our ears, bless our conversations. Amen.